You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Liz and I are going to do, we're going to do a two, two-part series. It'll be a very simple two-part series. We're starting today. Not a two-step, but a two-part. Not a two-step, but it's a two-part, all right? We don't know how to do the two-step. So, uh, but um, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, really identifying and dealing with eliminating um, an orphan spirit and when, you, when I use the word spirit, I use that very specifically. Some people are like, oh, are we talking about a demonic spirit or the spirit of your mind? Yes, both are true. Because what happens is that the enemy comes in and what he'll do is that he'll work to get people to believe things and really to develop a philosophy about how they see themselves, how they see other people, how they see the Lord. And so we're gonna just go ahead and just kick that thing in the butt this morning. Amen. This is going to be a little bit of warfare in that sense. But really, we're going to, we're going to begin to unfold a better understanding about what, what a son is. Because the truth is, is that if you've given your life to Christ, you are not an orphan. You are a son. And that includes men and women. But you've come under the, the lordship, the fathership of, of God the Father. And so for us, coming into that, it's the difference between not stepping into it, but knowing what we've stepped into. And so there's a, there's a philosophy, a mentality, a way of thinking that an orphan will think, and it's different than how a son thinks. So we're going to help bring some distinction today between how a son thinks and how an orphan thinks. Yeah. And so the church really has been, uh, I would say, and, and by and large, uh, over the years has been comprised of, and yeah, we're going to have some slides up there that will just spell things out really nice and clear. It's largely been comprised of orphans raising orphans. And so what happens when an orphan uh, raises up, you know, sons and daughters, they really transfer to them their revelation. So a lot of people have, have been orphaned. They've come into the, to the family of God God is their father, but they really don't understand the dynamics of the family that they belong to. And so what happens is they raise people up with an orphan mentality and orphans are begetting orphans. And so understanding our identity as sons, as daughters, as sons, as children of God is really, it's really the idea of being really um, saturated in your understanding concerning your identity in him. And so when we get a hold of this thing, then, and what, and what Liz and I found is that over the, over the years and even recently, we've been just continuing to push any kind of orphan mentality out of the way and really embracing who we are as sons. And the, the more that you step out of, out of being an orphan and orphan mentality into stepping into being a son of God, the more secure and stable you become in life. Have you ever felt up and down in your life before, like, you know, emotionally and like, how's this thing going? And just everything seems to be not stable. Well, when you know who you are and whose you are, it really brings stability to you in your life. That's right. That's right. And, you know, uh, this, this is something that we just, we have to 
come to a revelation of because we, if we don't know, then we can't go forward. And sometimes we don't realize the places that we have been operating as an orphan. It's really tricky. And so I, rem- I was just reading the word um, one day in John, and I came across, and I love John. The book of John is really awesome. So John 14 and uh, 6, no, wait, 17 says... Um, that I'm not going to, no, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so I just be like, the Lord was highlighting that to me. And he was saying, you know, he's saying, I'm, I haven't left you. And you have to remember like a little bit of backstory is that Jesus was preparing the disciples that he was going to have to go. And remember, the disciples that were with Jesus weren't necessarily like the greatest of people and the ones that That's had why the- they were called disciples. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Joke still gets a few laughs. Wow, wow. Uh- <laughs> I don't know if I can recover from that. You can recover. Okay. So they, you know, they weren't the lovelies. They weren't the ones who were raised um, just with rabbis and knowing the word of God. And so God went and he called them. He said, I'm, you're not orphaned. I'm going to be your father. I'm going to be your teacher. And so he began to teach them and be with them. And they were spending all their time with him. And so he was preparing their hearts and telling them, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come to you. It's just going to look different than it does now. So, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be settled. And so if the Lord is having to tell the disciples to not be orphaned, how much more do we have to know that we don't need to be orphaned? We should not be walking around as orphans. We should be walking around as sons and daughters. And just over like the last even months, the Lord has been revealing to me places where I have had orphan, orphan, orphanage, orphaned thinking. And I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be orphaned in any of my thinking. I don't want to be walking around like I'm fatherless yeah. because I'm not fatherless. So just as we're sharing with you this morning, just open your heart and open your mind and allow the Lord to begin to speak to you and tell you where you might be operating as an orphan. Because what the Lord was showing me, any place that you're not trusting me, that you're not allowing me to come and speak to you, then you're, you're orphaned. And I was like, I don't want to be orphaned. I'm not an orphan. And so sometimes we, we have to, right? How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Yeah. And so we have to allow the Lord, well, we have to renew our mind and allow the Lord to you know, put his finger on things that we don't know. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's the difference between, you know, it's, we come into being a son to being a child of God, but it's the, it's the transfer that has to happen in our mind. Our mind has to be renewed to where we start to think like a son. We start to think like we, as a matter of fact, when I walked in this morning, uh, somebody rolled out the red carpet for me like, like this. And, uh, but then I ended up saying, you know, actually we're both royal children because we both belong to the Lord, and that's the truth. And so it's coming to a place where we identify with that. And in Romans chapter 12, you mentioned this. In verse 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing and that by the renewing of your mind and that word renewing means to renovate. So what happens is that we come, you know, we get born into this world, and then the, the goal is, is that at some point we get born again, right? We're familiar with that term. 
And when we get born into this world, we think a certain way and the world trains us. The enemy trains us. You could say that there's an orphan spirit that trains people to think a particular way. But when we come into Christ, we have to renovate our mind. You ever done a renovation before on say, you know, your house or an apartment or a car or something like that? It's a process, but what you're doing is you're taking the things that don't belong there and removing them. There might be some things that you remain, that remain, but you're removing the things that don't belong and then you put in the things that do belong. Let's look here in Ephesians chapter one. We're going to read one verse, and then what we're going to do is we're going to show you the difference, and we've got some slides that will help. We're going to show you the difference between an orphan and a son mentality. And so here we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just, just as he chose Notice that he chose us. What a privilege to be chosen by God. You didn't just come into this thing by, by mistake or like, you know, the Lord was like, okay, well, I guess they're accepting me. I guess I'll have to choose them or I'll have to allow them to come in. No, it was his good pleasure for us to come into his kingdom. And when you gave your life to Christ, heaven was rejoicing. And I can tell you now, God is still rejoicing over you. So just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Notice it's the good pleasure. It's his good pleasure. It's according to his will and it's his good pleasure to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Here's the thing is that when you get born into the kingdom of God, it because both things are true. We've been born and adopted. You know, in, in the natural, you're either adopted or you're born into a family. You can't be both, but in the kingdom of God, we've got the best of both worlds. And since we've been adopted into his family, it reflects his decision that he wanted us even when we were not worth wanting. Thank you, Jesus. And so we've been accepted by him. But when we talk about being born into the family of God, because the Bible says in, in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, you have to be born of water. You have to be born naturally into this world. But then you have to be born of the spirit if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. So when we get born again, our spiritual DNA takes on the DNA of God. <laughs> Like, there's no way that, that anybody could really ever truly have a case to tell you that you don't belong to the Lord, unless you've not been born again. But once you've been born again, once you've accepted Christ, even the devil does not have a case against you anymore. And that's why he's a defeated foe. So we're going to give you, uh, we're going to give you seven areas where oftentimes people have taken on an orphan mentality versus a son mentality. And this is really going to cause a lot of light bulbs to come on in here. And Liz and I, we've walked through these things and we're still pressing into these things in our life to really come out of like, wow, I'm thinking like an orphan still when indeed I'm, I need to think like a son because there, there is a difference. So the very first area we're going to talk here is about trust. And so an orphan, when it comes to trust, an orphan doesn't have the capacity to trust for basic needs. And the reason they, don't, they wouldn't have the capacity to trust for basic needs is because they don't have a father. So that, that's been completely 
you know, eliminated. And I've met a lot of Christians who still struggle with their, their basic needs or trusting the Lord, even with their basic needs, talking about physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of those basic things. And it's because they don't realize that if the Lord has taken care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more does he take care of the ones that he calls his children? And so there's this place of understanding that we can trust the Lord. So that's how an orphan thinks concerning trust. But a son doesn't even consider basic needs. And what we mean by that is that a, a son doesn't, doesn't come into the father's house. And let me, put it, let me just tell it to you this way. And especially in America, we can really relate to this. I know for our kids, there, I, there's never been a time where one of them came in and said, I hope that there's going to be electricity tomorrow in our house. Now, I know people have been through difficult situations. I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. But on average, especially in our country, most of the time our kids don't say that kind of stuff. They don't come to us and say, you know, are, are we going to have running water? Are we going to have air to breathe? Are we going to have, and you could put a whole list of stuff. They don't do that. They don't even consider it because they automatically know because they are sons that they're just going to have those things provided for them. But sometimes we find ourselves still acting like an orphan, not really trusting the Lord. Right. And I know this was like a, a major place that I personally struggled with a lot. And it's because I, I was orphaned in my thinking. I had anxiety. I had fear. Because here's the thing. When we can't, um, when we don't think that our basic needs, so that's the very bottom. Our basic needs are taken care of, where we're going to sleep, what we're going to eat, if we're going to have clothes, then how can we trust him at greater levels. And so this is why, like three different times in Matthew 6, God said, do not worry. Do not worry. Do right. not worry. And that worry there is being divided within yourself. It's questioning, am I going to have things to eat? Are my basic needs going to be provided for? And he says, yes. Yes, yes, I have this. I want you to trust me. I need you to trust me. I need you to know that you're going to be taken care of. And then he gives, just like you said, gave us this picture. And he said, look at the birds of the air. Look at them. Do you ever take a moment to pause and look at the birds of the air, how they soar and how they fly and how they sing and how they chirp? And they're not worried about if they're going to have a place to eat, or, I mean, a place to sleep or if they're going to eat. They're just enjoying their life. They're just going day by day knowing that they're going to be taken care of. And so a true son, and this to me is one of the probably the hardest but the best places to begin to to know that you are a son is to begin to trust the Lord in yeah. this area know that he has you he's going to take care of you and if you go back and I can say this for myself and I begin to even just logically remember all the times God has met my needs and yeah. he has taken care of me then, I, then it's, it's no problem. I can look at whatever I'm facing and say, it's no problem. God has me, and so I'm going to move on. And so I can just 
diffuse because you know it's alive the enemy to say well you might not be able to eat this week or you're not gonna here's here is a true story i used to we we struggled a, a long time ago with finances because of our own foolish mistakes and praise god that he says he delivers us out of our distresses amen that um i you i used to kind of be in fear about buying groceries and so we always had kids at our house and we have kids so there's always lots of people wanting to eat and I used to try to hoard the snacks because I was thinking if they eat the snacks, She's just like a squirrel, and not not because I wanted them for myself. Don't worry, okay. I did want some for myself, but not just. I was afraid that if they ate all the snacks, that I wouldn't be able to get them snacks. And so I had this thing where I would like hide the snacks, or I would only set out enough for the day or what I thought they could have for the day. And I was like, that, I'm not trusting you, God. Like there's people in our house and it is my good pleasure to be able to give them snacks, to have comfort, to have fun, to just come and eat and enjoy and not have to worry about that. And so like the Lord began to show me you're orphaned here. You're not thinking that I can take care of this. If you'll freely give, you'll freely receive. And so, like, I just had to annihilate that out of my mind. And here's, here's how silly the enemy is, is that, like, when um, things were happening in 2020 and they're like, oh, we're going to be in this food shortage. And I was like, I can't buy any. Like, I told the boys, I was like, you can't have any more snacks. You get one snack. And then I was like, that's dumb. If we need granola bars to grow out of the ground in the front yard, then they can grow out of the ground in the front yard. Hallelujah. And so I was able, though, to distinguish that lie to see where I had been orphaned before and then go back and remind myself, no, God has taken care of the snacks. That's so good. I don't have to worry about so it. Good. So That's hallelujah. So good. Amen. I didn't realize the snack thing was such a big deal until right now. Wow. I'm being enlightened here. Okay. That's right. probably why we always have so many you can, snacks. You know what you can get, Liz, for Christmas now? A big <laughs> basket of snacks. Okay. So, I'll take so, it. I amen. love snacks. And then I'll give them out. <laughs> amen. So to summarize uh, the, the first one here, if you're thinking like an orphan, you can't trust like a son. So we have to change how we're, how we're thinking if we can really, so we can really trust the Lord, right? So the, the next area here we're going to talk about is the area of significance, of significance. Um, and an orphan finds significance in accomplishments and possessions, and I'll, I'm going to come back to that, but a son knows and embraces his worth just as a son, and so the Lord really, the Lord really, really, as a matter of fact, in, in Bonterre last week, the Lord changed my whole message. And I talked about kind of the difference between um, feeling significant and, and feeling like you've accomplished something. And there is a place for feeling good about accomplishing something. You know, when you accomplish a task or whatever, it's fine to feel like, oh yeah, I feel really satisfied that I ticked those boxes. But when you move over into a place to where you're finding significance in what you're doing, it really becomes unhealthy because our significance is supposed to come from the fact that we belong to the Lord. And so you can look at the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, there are, there are, two, there are two sons. There's the younger son and the older. The younger was the prodigal. The older was the one that stayed at home and perceivably 
perceivedly he had done things right. But what happened is that when the, the younger son, you know, came back home, he had this mentality that like, I'm going to live in the servants quarters. And the, the father said, no, 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 no. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to do all the good stuff. We're going to throw a party because my son is home. And so he was thinking at a lower level than what he, sh- than what he should have. But the question comes in, why did he leave the house to begin with? Because he had all of the goods, all of the stuff, all of the inheritance was right there available for him and to him, freely given to him. Why did he leave to begin with? Well, I think that the younger son was really after possessions. And he was after possessions because of what those possessions could make him, how they would make him feel or how they would make him look. And truly, he had all of the friends and all of the things that came along with the possessions and the money. But once he ran out of money, it seemed like he was all alone. And this is what happens with people is that they oftentimes will begin to prosper and they'll begin to, to grow in their, you know, literally even in their financial status to where they have more money or whatever. And before you know it, uh, they're really not going to the Lord like they, they need to. They're not staying in, in, in good fellowship with the Lord because they really never had an identity and found a place of significance in just being in the father's house. They were always looking for some kind of possession to make them seem like they're somebody important. And I can tell you now that I've, on, on a small level, I've been through this to where I, I felt like I needed to have the house and have the truck and have the different things. Now uh, we're renting and I drive a minivan and I feel just as significant as I ever have in my life. Why? Because it doesn't have anything to do with possessions. It has to do with being in relationship with the Lord. So then you have the older son and the place that he was trying to find significance is in what he was doing. Because you remember, he got really, really jealous that the younger son was getting all the good stuff. And so he came to the father and he said, wait a second, I've been here all along working for you in your fields. And now he's getting all the good stuff. And the father said, son, everything that I have has always been readily available for you. You can partake anytime you want. But you know, what's interesting is that the son didn't, the older son didn't even realize what was happening in the house because he was out working and he came back and he said, what's all this partying going on? Didn't even realize his brother was home and that there was a party taking place for the brother. You think he was really, really in good relationship with the father? No, he was busy working, trying to feel accomplished. And if we're looking for possessions or accomplishment to feel significant, we're looking in the wrong place. We have to find our significance straight from the Lord. Ever see the movie Cool Runnings? Love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And there's a place in the movie where Doris, the driver, um, when they're getting ready, he's having the conversation with John Candy, who's the, who's the coach. And he was the coach that cheated. And then they took his gold medal away from him. It was, all this was based on a true story. He's got this Jamaican bobsled sled team. And now he's the coach. And Doris is having a conversation with the coach. And he said, he said, uh, he said you know, I, I want to win a gold medal and, and all of this stuff. And the coach turns to him and he said, Doris, if you're not enough, And he was basically saying, if you're not significant enough, he said, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you'll never be enough with the gold medal. And so that really has stuck with me all these years because sometimes we want to feel like we are somebody and we know better than this. We, we know that like, oh, I'm somebody because God loves me. We wrote a song about it, right? Not us, but the, you know, somebody did in the church. And so, you know, we know that, but still yet we, we, we grasp towards things that make us feel like we've arrived. 
You'll know that you've arrived whenever you can just step forward and say, I'm a son of God and I don't have to prove anything to anybody, including myself, because God, God loves me and I belong to him. Amen. So the next thing here, we'll just jump right to the next yeah. thing, okay, is the area of, of relationships. And so an orphan, so this is area number three is relationships. An orphan consistently has dysfunctional relationships. This is like, like this, this is where the rubber meets the road with some people sometimes. You ever met anybody like that? Elbow your neighbor, be like, yeah, that's you. You're totally dysfunctional in relationships. An orphan consistently has dysfunctional relationships, but a son responds in relationships through covenant. And so the, the, way that the, the way that this works, the way that this looks is like somebody who's operating with a covenant mentality, it's somebody who's in a family and knows they're in a family and knows their part in the family will operate through covenant to where they don't cut and run. You ever met people like that, especially in the church over the years, people that have been in the years for, you know, been in the church for a lot of years, they'll find people, it's like as soon as they have, you know, a problem, boom, they cut, they cut and run. They're like, I'm done with you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. That's not, a, that's not a covenant mentality, whereas somebody who's a son, they're so established in, in their identity as a son of God, they're not moved by things that go on, with, you know, relationally speaking with people. But what happens is when you have somebody that thinks like an orphan, they're used to being rejected. And people that are used to being rejected and they have a, a spirit of rejection on them, they think like somebody who's rejected, they will usually reject other people first so they themselves don't get rejected. And I can write a book about this because I lived this way for a long time. And so people that are constantly dysfunctional in relationships of all kinds, you can put all kinds of relationships, it's because they think like an orphan. Because a real true son of God is the best at relationships. Amen. Hallelujah. You have something to say about that? I said it all. Okay. All right. We're going to hit some really, uh, really good stuff. The last, the last uh, four that we have here. The next area is in discipline. Discipline. So an orphan views discipline as rejection and punishment, or you could say like, like payback. They view it as payback and therefore they, they reject it. And so, but a, but a son views discipline as love, acceptance, and training, and therefore embraces it. And this could work like in a, in a church setting as far as like, you know, church discipline. But I would, I would move over more into like how we relate to the Lord. And I've, I've met a lot of people over the years to where they don't receive the correction of the Lord. And when they don't receive the correction of the Lord, it's usually because they think like an orphan. It says in, uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses seven through eight. I don't know if we'll have this up there or not. I forgot to give it to him, but Hebrews 12, seven through eight, it says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. This is New Testament, by the way. If you, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Some translations say correct. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. And so when we are unwilling to be disciplined by the Lord, when we don't embrace it, it, it doesn't necessarily show our status, but it shows the level of revelation that we're operating in. Because when the Lord comes to bring correction to us, it's always, it's always a good thing. It doesn't always feel good. I got spanked less than all of my siblings. So I'll throw that in there. But, uh, 
My dad back here was the one that did a lot of the spanking. Uh, and you know, no, at no time, did, by the way, spanking is not a dirty word. I know this is 2023 and people are out of their minds and don't think they spank their kids, but we stick with the Bible and okay, anyways, there's that. Uh, but there wasn't at any point when the, uh, the, the family belt hanging on right next to the door that was a reminder to us, there wasn't at any point when that belt went across my butt did I ever enjoy it. It, n- it never felt good. So no punishment in the moment is, is really, you know, feels like a good thing. But as a son, even if I couldn't have articulated at, you know, three, four, and five, six years old, whatever, even if I couldn't have articulated it, I knew that there was love and there was covering and there was an embrace there because they weren't coming to pay me back for the thing that I did wrong. They were coming to help me keep from doing that thing wrong that would eventually hurt me. It's the difference between how a son and an orphan thinks. Yeah, and we have to remember, like, discipline is for our protection. Yeah. Because it's done, it should be done out of a heart of love. And whenever God is disciplining sons, it's because he loves sons. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't oftentimes love the correction when it comes. But what the correction does, it keeps us in safety. It yeah. keeps us going, you know, the right direction, keeping us from out of harm's way. So we can't, if we're looking at as punishment or we're feeling punishment in it, then we probably are orphaned in our thinking. I know, you know, we talked about, we go through, we went through a period of time when the church or just, we started dreaming and a lot of the dreams came as the Lord, you know, as correction, like they were showing us you're not going the right way, or you have some things that need adjusting. Sometimes it's not even necessarily that we're going the wrong way that the correction comes, but it's because we're not thinking or we need adjustment or correction just so that we can go the right way. It's to propel us forward, never to keep us back. Again, remember punishment is something because you deserve it. Right. Uh, And discipline is something embraced because it's to help us go in the right direction. And so those things that are, you know, hidden oftentimes because, you know, we don't want like we don't want to be in punishment. Nobody wants correction. Nobody wants to be told you're wrong. You're not right. You're not doing something right. You're not thinking the right way. Right. So oftentimes we're the ones who keep ourselves hidden, but God only works in the light. That's right. And so if we're in the light, then we have to trust, this goes back to trusting too, that God is going to lovingly correct us and lead us in the right direction. And then when we start experiencing the true discipline of the Lord, the true correction of God, you'll begin to crave it because you see the fruit. Because remember, it even talks about in the word that whenever you want to bear more fruit. So sometimes even, you know, correction or discipline doesn't come because of bad things, but it's because you want, you need to grow and you need to go further and you need to. So it talks about pruning and that in the pruning, when you're pruned back, when things are cut off of you that don't belong, I can imagine like things cut off of you that don't belong, Mm -hmm. that could be painful or it could be scary. It could be, um, You don't know, and that's getting cut off, but we see then the picture of what happens when we prune back 
fruit trees or flowers, it means that they can grow bigger, they can grow stronger, and they have a larger fruit production because the things that didn't belong, the things that were holding them back, the things that were causing them to only get to a certain point were cut off so that more could come. Yeah, that's exactly right. I heard it put this way before that your, re- your reward for growth is being pruned. Because it says that, you know, and this is in John chapter 15, that, you know, when the, the Lord, because he loves us, that, that he does prune us. But the, but the pruning is because we've already showed a measure of growth and we're being pruned so that we can have more growth in our life. So understand this, pruning or, or any form of like discipline, this is very, very important that we understand this. God does not use things that he's redeemed us from to bring correction to us. He's not going to use sickness. Listen to me. He's, he doesn't use sickness to teach you something. Can you learn something through being sick? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, you know, were, did something stupid and got sick, you could learn like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that thing. You know, stay outside and, you know, the cold with no coat or something like that. Whatever. I don't know. Whatever it would be. That kids. Yeah. Anyways. Although, yeah, anyways. But whatever. So you get my point. You can learn things through it, but that's not God's method of teaching you because he's redeemed you from it. He's redeemed you from sickness. He's redeemed you from poverty. If you don't have that dividing line, you'll go through a challenging time and say, well, this is God teaching me something. No, no. That's you going through a challenging time dealing with something, but he's not bringing correction to you from it. God uses the word to bring correction to you. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. Amen. All right, so the next area here, we have three more that we're going to hit here. The next area is prayer. So an orphan, this is really simple and straight to the point, and really this could could sound like a dagger, but an orphan has a shallow, self-focused prayer life. Everybody say, Jesus, is that... Is that me? Because I know for me, I went through a period of time in my life to where everything that in my prayer life was all about how I was feeling and about the issue, issue at hand and whatever. And there's a place for that. He wants to meet our needs. He is the God that, that supplies all of the supply for every need that we will ever have. And there's a place for coming to the Lord to get that need met. But if all we do is come in just to get something from the Lord, and it's all about being self-focused, then we really think more like an orphan because an orphan is always concerned about getting their needs met. A son doesn't come in and be concerned about getting their needs met. Remember, we talked about trust to start with. And so a son's able to just come in and just have relationship uh, with the father. And so the prayer then turns to this, not my will, but yours be done. And there's this place where you come to with the, with the father as a son to where there was a time in my life to where I, I couldn't have said that, not, not my will, but yours be done. I might have said it, but not really knowing what I was saying when I said it. And then when I realized what I was saying, I wasn't quick to say it because I wasn't sure that I wanted to let go of some of Kent. But now I've come into this place that even in a difficult situation, I will say to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And isn't that what Jesus said to the, to the Father? And as a matter of fact, right before that, it was the greatest nevertheless in the history of neverthelesses. I just pluralized that word. Jesus said, if this cup can pass before me, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
when we can come and we can put our nevertheless in the right place, because what happens is that we'll come and we're like, Jesus, it's just all me and you and just whatever you want. Nevertheless, I've got all these problems and all these complaints and all this stuff that's going on here. When it should be reversed, we're like, God, I got some issues going on here. You know, and I know. Nevertheless, I'm going to follow after you. Bill Johnson said this. He said, if you, go into, if you go into prayer for one hour and you come out unchanged, you weren't praying, you were complaining. And I was like, when I heard that, I was like, that's not very, that's not very nice. That was a little bit of some correction yeah. or discipline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, all right, Jesus, okay, all right. And I realized that I had done that, and I was really thinking like an, like an orphan and not like a son. Yeah, yeah that, that's powerful, especially, you know, prayer is something that we all do, whether we realize it or not, like whenever you're communicating, prayer is just communication with the Lord. And so I will challenge you in this, that when you're going to pray, you know, and it's, I'll, I'll say this too, the Lord knows your anxieties. He knows the cares that you have, and he cares about what you care about. Like he does, he cares about that. But we have to get to this place where we switch over and we're not going there saying, God, how, and God, will you, and God, can you, and God, will you show show me, it is transition, and okay, I'm going to come bring this thing to you, because it says, let your request be made known to God, but then I'm going to say, I trust you, God, in this place, I'm going to leave it at your feet, I'm not going to pick it up, and then I'm going to begin to say to you, Lord, yeah, What is it that you say over this situation? What is your word that I can partner with you in declaring it over this? Because that is a posture of a son versus an orphan because a son knows that his requests, his petitions have been made before God and that when he can lay them down at his feet, that he can walk away fully knowing that the Lord has it, that the Lord's taking care of it and they can partner with him. We can partner with him with the word of God and begin to declare it over the situation. When you be, then it, it changes you. It changes your perspective. This is then where we're gone into prayer one way and we come out another way. We come out strengthened. We come out encouraged. We come out thankful. We come out cha- I mean, ready to like charge the day and charge the situation because we know that God has us because we are his son yeah. and it's no problem. That's right. This is the very reason why Jesus prayed or told the disciples, he said, pray in this manner. He said, our father, he's a father first to us. All right, so two more areas we're going to talk about here. uh, Comparison is the next one. An orphan measures, and this is a really serious problem. There's a verse, um, I, meant to, I meant to bring it up, but it's in uh, Corinthians, and it says that Paul says that those who compare themselves by themselves among themselves are not wise. So it's not a wise thing to compare yourself to somebody else, but somebody who has an orphan mentality, they'll find themselves comparing what they're doing, their life, uh, their ministry, how they witness, how they run their business, how they're raising their children, all of that stuff. They'll find themselves comparing them to somebody else. Let me ask you a question. Who in here has kids? Who in here has more than one kid? Let me just see, okay? A lot of us have more than one kid. Let me ask you this question. Are your children, whether it be two children or, or 12 children, Are your children, are any two of them just alike? No, every one of your children are totally different from each other. Yet as 
people that are children of God, oftentimes we'll look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and we will compare ourselves and wish, I was just like that. I wish I was, could do what they could do. Why? Why would we do that? It's because we don't understand who we really are. We don't understand that we're unique individuals that God has made. So an orphan measures their life according to others' methods for success. Everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to have the stuff, have the goods, do the thing, win the prize, all of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you compare what somebody else is doing and how they're doing it, you're actually, you're compar- you, the, the analogy fits here, you're comparing apples to oranges. Because you are not the same as somebody else. But a son measures their life to the father's instructions. Sounds like a proverb when you put it all together. An orphan measures their life according to others' methods and successes. A son measures their life according to the father's instructions. So what we're supposed to do is is just go back and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? When we started this church, this was something the Lord really, and it took me, he really, he put it in my head and it took probably about six years to really reach my heart. I had some blockage there. But he told me, he said, Kent, your measure of success is doing what I tell you to do. Because when you, when, you know, when you step into you know, doing something, our immediate thought is like, how is everybody else doing it? Well, there's a place for looking at what other people do, and we can gain some understanding, we can gain some insight. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. People have been where you want to go. All of that's true. Nevertheless, it's a good place to put it, nevertheless. Nevertheless, we are unique and how God has made us, and we need to find the instructions that the Father has for us, for our situation, because you can't really compare your life to somebody else's. Just, just as in the natural, we have fingerprints and we have DNA that are unique to us, and nobody else has the same DNA and has the same fingerprints as us. What an incredible thing. It's the same thing spiritually in how God sees us, how God, made us, how, how God has made us, and the place that we belong as being sons of God. You are just as unique as the next person. Amen. This is something we're supposed to celebrate. We're supposed to, actually, when, when, um, when people are, indiv- are individuals and that celebrated, it actually brings a stronger sense of unity. Because then you find that where you can honor where somebody else is. This doesn't mean you can be a jerk and just say, well, I'm just different than you. No, you're being a jerk. You're supposed to be nice no matter what you are, no matter what you're doing, Right? But when you find people's differences and you celebrate them, all of a sudden they think, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel tied to you. I feel comfortable around you because they feel honored in the situation. That's right. Amen. That's right. So no, being able to celebrate other people no, is, is one way to judge is if you are a son or not. And then I'll just also say that if you're watching somebody else run their race and you're trying to run that race, then you won't ever get to run your race. And so it's so important that we, now it's not that you can't learn and grow and go and you know take on other things that other people are doing so that can help propel you forward, right? Because we say, when you learn from somebody else's mistake or you learn where somebody left off, you can go forward faster, but it's knowing that you're not trying to do it just like them to get their results to be like them because you want their fruit. You know, oftentimes I'll say, we're willing to like, covet or judge other people's fruit and not 
know what it is that they did to have to get their fruit. Yeah. So run your race and celebrate when other people are running their race and celebrate their victories and then celebrate your victories yeah. too. It's so important. Yeah, amen. You know, God's no respecter of persons. And when we can't celebrate when somebody else is winning, we really don't believe that he can cause us to win. And if you don't think this is a real thing, try pastoring a church in a small town and then have other churches just, you know, pop up and whatever. It can make you think, well, what, am, I, am I doing enough? And are the people going to leave? And all that kind of stuff. Like the enemy will really mess with you with stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've had to come back over the years and just step back and go, it's not about me. And, I'm, and I will intentionally give gifts, call, bless, invite, bring in, pray for other people doing similar or the same things that I'm doing because I don't ever want to find myself being in a place of jealousy. If you are being jealous about what somebody else is doing and how God's using somebody else, that's, the, that's the, a surefire, quick way to shut off the life and power of God from what you're doing because we're supposed to celebrate other people. All right, so the last one here is, is love. And an orphan, this is, this is so simple but so straight to the point, an orphan doesn't know how to receive or give love, but a son is fluent in love. So an orphan doesn't know how to receive or give love, and a son is fluent in love. And this really hit home with me about, um, I'll say about a year ago. The Lord really, really showed me where I was thinking like, like an orphan in this in this area. And this is like, we have lots of room to where we can grow in this. I've been knowing the, the love of God. I've been ministering on the love of God. I've helped other people understand the love of God, all of that for a lot of years. And I didn't realize that I had an area to where I was still, I was still thinking like, like an orphan. I want to just finish with the story. And I believe it's really going to bless some people. Um, Kingston, if you'd come up and just play, that'd be great. Um, when I was I'll say, it, I'll say it like this as pinpointed as I can. When I was growing up, both of my parents, but uh, specifically my mom, really taught me how to love God. I mean, my, both of my parents had incredible influence in my life. My dad's back here. A dad and my new mom. <laughs> hey, mom and dad. Total, totally for embarrassment. I hope you feel embarrassed. It's great. We love you. <laughs> Uh, but my mom taught me how to love God. When I got a little bit older, I started listening to Andrew. Andrew taught me that God, Andrew Womack taught me that God loved me. And it like blew my mind wide open. And then one that I've referred to as my spiritual father, Pastor Bobby, he taught me how to love people. And I realized looking, looking back, of course, he just has gone on to be with the Lord. But looking back, like he was so confident as a son that he could, just, he could just love people and he wasn't worried about if they would reject him or not. You wanna know why people, this is, this is true. You wanna know why people have a hard time with, with interaction from person to person? Because they don't, they don't really know love from the Father. And it's like, there's a, there's a place in the body of Christ to where when I have, when I have people that come up and, you know, and I'll, especially when I've known them and they're like, good to see you, Kent. And we've known each other for a while. I'm like, what's wrong with you, feller? Come here. Let's give me a hug. Like, you know, 
Paul said, greet each other with a holy kiss, which that sounds good to me. Now we're not going to do that. My turn, unholy. Uh, did I just say that? No, it would be holy. We're married. If we weren't married, it would be unholy. All right. Unholy for all of them. I just, I tell our boys, I'm like, your mom and I, we, we have a healthy relationship, you know. So. Move on. Okay, moving on. And listen, that's why you have kids is to embarrass them. It's totally, it's totally acceptable, right? That's why you guys. And apparently yeah. parents too. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, stop, Kent. Move on. Okay. But, um, you know, but I found this to where people, it's like, and you have this whole, this is going to hit home with some people in here. It's like, you know, you should like, like embrace. And, you know, by the way, like men to women, unless you're married, it's, you know, side hug. That's the appropriate thing. Women can embrace, guys can embrace like that. That's the best thing. That's the best way when it's man to woman. But it's kind of this thing of like, hey, God bless you. And we're both sons of God. You know, and it feels really weird. It's because one or both people haven't really figured out that they don't have to be concerned if other people reject you or not. And when somebody becomes fluent in love, it's just not about any of that stuff. It's just about giving love to people. So Pastor Bobby really taught me how to love people, and I'm still walking that out. But where I'm at now, I'm in a season in my life, and I have been for uh, really a number of years to where I'm learning how to love myself. And about a year ago, I went, and I was driving to church three Sundays in a row, three Sunday mornings in a row. I was driving to church, and the first Sunday was very unexpected. I was all by myself all three Sundays in a row. Uh, It's a 10-minute drive to church, and it was very unexpected. And all of a sudden, the, 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 this is the only way I can describe it. It's one thing to have the, pres, the, like the presence of God fill your car. It's, an, it's another thing when a certain particular aspect of his presence shows up. It's very different. And the best way I can describe it is that the pleasure of the Lord showed up in my car, my minivan. Showed up in my minivan. And, and I'm driving down the, Lord, I'm like, down, driving down the road, and I'm like, Lord, what, what is this? I mean, it felt really good. But at the same time, I, at that, that time, I was, man, we were working through some things and just whatever. I felt like I was maybe not at my worst, but I didn't feel like I was really at my best. And I'm like, oh, man. The next Sunday, driving to church, the exact same thing happens. The pleasure of the Lord fills my, my car. And I, I honestly, I'm not a crier, and I just begin to weep. I'm like, man, God, this is, this is so awesome. This is so good. The next Sunday, the exact same thing. And, and instead of just enjoying it, I stopped and I said, what are you doing? What, what, is, what is this about? And he said, you know, he said, Kent, he said, he said, I approve of you, but you don't approve of you. And he said, who are you to not approve of what I have approved of? And it was like, it was like I felt the love and a swift kick in the pants all at the same time. It was very miraculous. And I was like, well, God, I don't want to not love me. He said, you don't love you like you really need to love you. And you know what? You can't love other people right unless you've learned to love yourself right. I'm not talking, to, I'm not talking about a, a, a weird thing to where you're being selfish. I'm talking about to where you're stable. And you can brush off all the things in the flesh that you don't like about yourself because every one of us have those things. Or you can look past that and you can say, you blessed son, daughter of God, you're so loved by God. We should be able, we should be able to do that. 
If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.